Hey, Pigskin Fanatics, welcome to the Pigpen as we tackle the most harrowing stories, not on the field, but off of it today. Today, we're unleashing a blitzkrieg of the evolution of American football uniforms, a tale of sweat, leather, and surprisingly fashion. Don't hang up your cleats just yet, folks, because this will be a wild ride through the satirical savagery of the gridiron, and it's all coming up for you in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Well, my football friends, this is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And today, let's take a rewind to the late 19th century, where football resembled rugby more than the high-octane spectacle that we know today. Players rocked woolen pants, canvas shirts, and leather strappings adorned to their heads. They looked more like torture devices than protective gear. Think of it in the vein of a tweed golf getup meets executioner garb meets industrial work clothes with some heavy doses of chafed skin, if you know what I'm talking about. Now, these guys were rough and tumble pioneers. They established the basic silhouette, long sleeves, pants tucked into the socks, and a heavy dose of mud laying on grass fields and rocks and stones and dirt. They also gave us some rudimentary pads. Shoulder pads were first seen in the 1890s, initially worn on the outside of the player's sweaters for protection. Now, versions of the tied shoulder pads were in the Spalding's 1906 catalogs, and other teams had them sewn into the players' sweaters. Now, these early stocking cap era players were more concerned with protecting their noses than they were their brains. The nose guard invented one year before any head protection was formally marketed. And notice that these look almost like a modern athletic supporter, but these guys had them over their their noses there, so they're breathing in that air. Probably a little bit hard to breathe, but protecting their nose from getting crushed from some rushing hits there. I mean, multiple types of leather headgear. Uh, they weren't called helmets at this point. Often in the catalogs are referred to as head harnesses all the way up until 1920. And these were the predecessors of our modern day helmets and the leather helmets that we, we call them today. Now fast forward to the Roaring Twenties and the game gets a severe wardrobe upgrade. Leather pants and jackets have become all the rage, offering some protection and surprisingly uh, sleek air. The pads or pants were sometimes quilted to be a little bit more shock resistant and protective. Decorative friction strips were so popular in the 1920s that teams placed them in patterns on the jerseys, not only for the aesthetic purpose, but to also help the runners hang onto the ball. You can see these friction strips, vertical stripes, horizontal stripes, but they're strips of friction type grabbing material. Now, the late 1920s and 1930s are where my friend Timothy P. Brown of footballarchaeology.com refers to as the ugly uniform era. 
Now, uh, the football, the friction strips and the stripes and a variety of fabrics were used to gain a competitive and aesthetic advantage. Yeah, there was still some canvas used. There was still some wool used, but there was materials like silk and satin used too to be a little bit lighter and try to give that advantage to the athletes that were moving around there on a field. And brought some interesting color schemes and uh, some interesting textures to it as well leading up to why Tim thinks it's an ugly uniforms. Now, football teams from 1915 to 1936 had almost complete control over what was on their uniforms. According to the NCAA rules, the numbers only went on the front of their jerseys uh, officially in 1937. Before that, it was letter designations of the school were expected since the early days of the stopping cap for era football. But the school logo was an innovation in the World War I era and after the game's brand. Now, eventually, the random stripes were relegated to the sleeves and possible military pinstripes down the sides of the football pants, which we see is pretty common today. Actually, teams are getting away from the stripes down the sides, but really in the 1970s and 80s, it was really popular. Before World War II, their helmets were made of a more modern materials. In 1939, plastic helmets strutted onto the field for the first time, promising lightweight protection. But these early examples crumbled under the pressures and hits, shattering and causing more injuries than cheers. They were soon banned, but they were benched only to return and beefed up with sturdier plastic and better materials and a healthy dose of padding on the inside and later that year, in 1940, they made their resurgence. By 1943, even the NFL realized the value of the cranium protection, making helmets mandatory four years after their college counterparts did the same at that level of football. In the late 1940s, mouth guards appeared as the urge to protect the teeth was emphasized, and there was reports that it saved up to 3% less dental injuries, which doesn't sound like a lot, but kept a lot of chiclets in people's mouths, that's for sure. After World War II, the rules and the look of football morphed considerably once again. The helmets were soon adorned with more uh, protective equipment in the mandatory hard shell variety. That first face mask was worn by Otto Graham of the Cleveland Browns, who uh, was elbowed in the mouth uh, during the first half of a 1953 game, and then played the second half wearing with a piece of plastic, uh, almost like plexiglass that Coach Paul Brown taped to his helmet. It was just sort of a, a flat bar uh, going across his mouth, see-through. That's what really led to the first single bar helmet uh, a year or two later and eventually put into the full grills that uh, we're, we're accustomed to today. Let's jump back to 1947 on the helmets though. We witnessed gridiron fashion revolution. Uh, this is on the leather helmets though. The Los Angeles Rams running back had a vision. Rams Fred Gerke grabbed a paintbrush and transformed his helmet into a canvas, etching the iconic Ram horns that sent shockwaves through the league. And guess what, fans, adored it. Suddenly the helmets weren't just protective gear, they were billboards of team identity and especially in the nascent black and white televisions of the time. Those were very vivid images uh, even though they were black and white. 
It is the age of high-tech fabrics coming in, lightweight pads, and helmets that look like they belong to sci-fi movies. Performance meets style, with the teams pushing the boundaries of design and material innovation as we entered in the space age of the 1960s. Color TV exploded, and so did the uniform palettes. Teams embraced the dazzling hues, bidding farewell to those old grab jerseys and sweaters. The NFL even introduced a position-based numbering system, making it easier to tell who was throwing the bombs, who was catching them, who was tackling, and who was supposed to be blocking on the line. Uh, big pads and big hits. That running game reigned supreme, and the shoulder pads were morphed into these plastic fortresses in the 1960s and 70s. Think broad, heavy, a moving human rock pile. But as the game shifts to the aerial acrobatics, pads slim down, prioritizing mobility over the medieval armor vibes. And you can see that if you look at like a running back from the 1970s and 1980s, how beefy their shoulders were and you know caked with that plastic armor. As you go to today, a little bit more slender and sophisticated, but the technology is actually a little bit safer in the plastics and the materials that they use. But there was a neck roll rhapsody and its demise from the 1970s through the 90s where linemen and sport inflatable neck pillows around their backs, hoping this would shield and the vulnerable nerves and make it so their heads not twisting and turning so much. But like so many fashion fads and protective gears, evidence mounts against their effectiveness and eventually the neck rolls were deflated and they disappeared and you hardly ever see one anymore in today's game. Now, face shields were another fashion that's really come on in the last 25, 30 years. They started off with those clear visors, which many wear. Now, there was a, a trend where there was like a smoke uh, visor, but as officiating, and within the days of starting to understand concussions and CTE a little bit better, they want to be able to see into the player's eyes with the helmet still on. Make sure their eyes aren't glazed over or rolling. This uh, smoke visor is sort of permitted or de-permitted that uh, visibility from an official or a doctor looking into that eye. So we want the medical personnel to be able to identify that. So clear visors, it helps the player see a little bit better too. And if they're having a little bit of trouble with the sun, well, put a little bit of the sunblock under that you see them wear, been wearing for years. And you know, sit here and think about some of the things that players have done over the years. How about the 1970s with the stick'em? Uh, you know, the stick'em lets you have that dexterity and tactness of their, your hands to catch the balls better. Illegal substance now. But players would take and smear it on the side of their helmet. They could reach up there and grab a piece and make their hands tack before the next play. This was a very famous in the 1970s NFL. So there you have it, folks. It's a brief history. Uh, we've really shuffled through American football's uniform, the journey from the muddy wool, the space age spandex, and a story of sweat innovation and even fashion. And remember on the gridiron, it's not just about the touchdowns. It's about the spectacle and those uniforms and all their bizarre and beautiful glory play a massive role in creating that magic. Those uniforms are really iconic and really establish who you are supporting and fans in the stands are now wearing the jerseys uh, supporting their teams and their favorite players and it's all such a beautiful thing and it's spreading to all sports which is really awesome and really incredible that's a great thing now we have more details on many of these items including a lot in pigskin dispatch uh, a lot that we've talked about with timothy b brown of football archaeology on the helmets and the jerseys and friction pads and uh, shoulder pads 
So make sure you check out some of those great things on pigskindispatch.com. And we'll have some more videos on that. And, uh, and hope you enjoyed this video and the images. If you would, please subscribe to our channel if you like it. And uh, tell your friends about it because we'd love to talk more football history with you next time. So till that time, have a great gridiron day. That's all the football history we have today, folks. Join us back tomorrow for more of your football history. We invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleat Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.